State. And last night, he scored his very first touchdown. Woohoo! The winning, winning touchdown, as a matter of fact. So we're pretty excited about that. He's a freshman uh, playing, and so we, we get pretty excited about that. Um, let me take a moment and pray to start us off. Thanks, God, that uh, this moment of prayer um, is, is flowing into eternity, uh, into your presence, into your enoughness that you hear from us. You invite us to speak, to share, uh, to, you listen to us, God. So thank you for the opportunity to uh, dedicate this time to you. Thank you that you are Holy Spirit who has a message and a presence for each of us to bring us closer to you. Thank you for the word that is meant to bless us and challenge us and teach us and draw us into your truth. Thank you that we do that in the fullness of your grace. We need that, God. And we need to understand that it is for us and it is from you in all our need. So bless this time. Help us to receive. Help us to anticipate and look for what you would have us know and understand and do. And we just say we trust you, God. We bless your name. Amen. I love that we get to pray. It's one of God's most radical gifts to us. When you think that we are taking our voices and our hearts into the very throne room of God, that, that's amazing. This is almighty God telling us, I wanna hear from you. We get to partner with this almighty God when we pray. We get to be in his presence in a way that says, we matter, we address the heart of God when we pray. And that, that's radical. There's not a, a, a God, small g God in this world that is like our God, amen? So prayer, one of his gifts. There's another gift. It's testimony. To testify of who he is and who he's, he's telling us that he wants to be in our lives when he gives us that opportunity to testify, we join in the celebration that's happening in heaven. If you've had a chance to listen to someone share their testimony of, of coming to faith or share their testimony of having walked away from the Lord or having sin just abundant in their lives and then turning themselves, their hearts back to the Lord, it's, it's a marvelous thing and heaven rejoices. And if you've had a chance to share your own testimony, you're giving others an opportunity to hear and be blessed by what God is up to. There's a scripture out of Luke 15. I don't have this one on, on the screen, but it's Jesus talking about the parable of the lost sheep. He says, Jesus tells them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Well, that, that scripture is often used to describe the joy and rejoicing that happens when, when a person comes new to the faith, and certainly that is a part of the rejoicing that happens, but if you look at the context of this scripture, it's, it doesn't say it's just when an unbeliever comes into the understanding of God's presence of grace, it says when a sinner repents that heaven rejoices. Well, unfortunately, I've, had, I've made heaven rejoice often. 
but that is a part of, of God's gift to us. He rejoices when we repent because he knows that sin ensnares us. He knows that it keeps us from doing what he wants in our lives, which is for us to live in our grace identity. So he rejoices when we step away, when we turn away from sin, when we repent. All heaven rejoices. So I'm gonna share with you today a couple of testimonies so we get to participate in the rejoicing of heaven. One is uh, someone who's a, a contemporary or was a contemporary. Um, you, you don't know the, the gentleman. Um, he's someone that I worked with in my role in my, my day job and my night job is, is as a, a hospice chaplain. And in fact, I worked last night. I'm kind of going on just a couple hours of sleep. Um, so hopefully my mind will, will find the words that I need to. I'm trusting the Lord for that. But uh, so I'm going to tell you a little testimony of, of Michael James. And I'm going to share a testimony from Scripture, someone that uh, you may be familiar with, found in John 4. She's known as the woman at the well. Pastor Eric began this series by reminding us and calling us to know and understand and receive the truth that we are made in the image of God. We're not just a dim reflection. We're not um, unknown. We're known by God to carry and be the bearers of his image. Now, sin distorts that. Sin distorts that image, and it tells us, it dims our sense of, of who God has called us to be. But God is so marvelous and so amazing and so kind and so wonderful that he's given us a tool that draws us back into living from that image, proclaiming our identity, our grace identity as his children. He's given us the gift of grace. So we're going to embrace that in testimony today. So Michael James, which is only part of his, his full name, um, I'm going with HIPAA here and not disclosing all of, his, all of his name, although Michael did give me permission to, to testify in his name, but we'll go with Michael James, his first and middle name. He was a 56-year-old man who had esophageal cancer, and he was dying um, he called for me, a chaplain, he just, he called uh, the hospice I work for and just said, his, his brother actually called and said, my, my brother wants a chaplain, uh, can you send somebody? So I was working that weekend, my, my shifts often are over a weekend from Friday to Monday, I'm on call 24-7 or 24-3 um, over those days, and so I went to see Michael, and I came to his house. It was just a very, very small house, kind of like a little shotgun house where just one little hallway that, uh, that you, you come in the, the main room, this little kitchen, little hallway that goes back to a couple of rooms. And, and I went, went to his home, and there was his brother. His brother went by the name Geronimo. And he went by that name because he uh, jumped out of airplanes during the Vietnam War and picked up that, that nickname. So Geronimo welcomes me in and, and gives me a little up, update about his brother, how his brother's doing, and he says, um, it's not going well. It's not looking, looking very good. Um, he's in the back room there, and he, he thinks he's dying, but I'm really not ready for him to die. So, um, you know, if you go, when you go back there, if you could just tell him that, I'm not, I'm not ready. Um, and I said, well, Geronimo, what, what if your, your brother's ready, and uh, is there a way you can get ready? And he said, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I, I'm, not, I'm not ready to do that. Um, I said, well, 
you know, he may need you to get ready because from, from the description of, uh, that you've given me, which that he wasn't eating, um, he was having lapses in his breathing, um, he had no strength. And I said, from that description, it sounds like he may be getting ready. And Geronimo said, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go there. So, well, maybe you could ask God to help you get there in case your brother needs that from you. You mind getting me my water? So I went back into the, the back room down this hallway. Thank you. And went into this room that was, uh, I think, most closets in the Parade of Homes houses are bigger than the room he was in. Um, it was just enough room for the bed and a table and the little portable toilet that um, you often had the bedside commode, they call it. And I went in, and there is this, this man that um, you could hardly see much of the physical humanity that was left of him. He, um, it was skin and, and bones, basically, kind of the flesh just over the bones. And, and uh, he lifted up his hand and, and welcomed me in. And I sat, I pulled up the commode right next to the bed and sat and you know, put the lid down and sat on that. And, and I said, you know, Michael, I'm glad I could be here today. How can I be a support to you? And he said, well, Chaplain, I'm, I'm really scared. Uh, I'm scared of what's coming next. Uh, and, and I would like for you to pray for me. I said, sure, Michael, what, what would you like for me to pray? And he said, I, I want God to heal me because I haven't done enough yet for Jesus to let me into heaven. Um, I, I have not lived a good life. In fact, I've, I've done some really horrible things. And, and Michael then proceeded to tell me some of the things that he'd done in his life. And, and yeah, some of the things were, were, were very, very sad, very hard. Um, he, he was divorced. He hadn't had connection with his children in decades. And... Um, he was alone except for his brother who had come to take care of him from another state. And so Michael gives me the list of what he had done and, and then he says, so you, so you can understand why, why I need healing because I, I just, Jesus, I, I'm not getting into heaven. Uh, I haven't done enough. I said, Michael, I have amazing news for you. If you are healed and you live another hundred years, you still won't have done enough to get into heaven. Amazing news? Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's amazing news, Michael, because Jesus knew that. He knew you weren't going to do enough. So he did enough for you. And if you know that enoughness, then what comes next, the thing that you're fearing, um, is actually the full presence of Jesus in his grace for you, where he, he welcomes you and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Servant isn't because you did all these things and checked all these boxes, but well done, you chose my grace. So I shared that with Michael. Tears ran down his face. And he said, can you come back tomorrow? And I looked at Michael and I was thinking, I, I can come back tomorrow, but I'm not sure you're going to be back tomorrow. But I said, yes, Michael, I, I can come back tomorrow. Um, but if you're not here, when I get here, I, I hope I see you in heaven because you've decided that God was telling the truth when he said you can't earn your way to heaven, but that he has done enough. So I had spent good time with, with Michael, and he's very, very frail. 
I prayed for him. I prayed for healing as he had, had asked. He actually took my hand and, and put it on his chest, and, and there was just, you know, nothing. And so after I prayed for him and I said, Lord, we want to submit to your will. We want your healing. And, and we're going to say, God, we want that to be physical and complete and now. But we're going to say, God, what your healing looks like, we want to submit to whatever that healing looks like. So I bent over and I kissed Michael's forehead and said, God willing, I'll see you tomorrow. Walked out, told as I was walking out, I said, Geronimo, go and talk to your brother about getting ready. So Michael is the first testimony. He was a man who was ensnared by sin. He lived in his sin identity. He thought his sin was all that he had going for him. He thought his sin was standing between him and God, and it was, but he thought he could work his way through it. He thought he could undo the sin choices he had made in his life by choosing to do right things and good things and enough things and, and hold up a list and say, okay, God, is this enough? Is this enough? He had lived his life in this sin identity. He, he said, I, I don't think I've ever told one person about God, about Jesus. Proverbs 5.22 tells us, the iniquities of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sin hold them fast. Well, when we live in our sin identity, we are bound up. We don't move. We don't move forward. We don't uh, live in a way that says, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. When we're embracing our sin identity, we are living from a place of lies, which is where the enemy would rather have us stay. And, and about this sin identity, it's not all, all about the sin that we do, that we choose. It's also the sin when we are sinned against. When we are sinned against, the enemy often takes the brokenness and heartache of that sin and twists it, offers it to us in the form of a lie, moves us off the path that God intends or hopes for us to live from. So God wants to reveal himself as the God of grace. So how does he do that? He gives us the truth. There's a quote that I came across from, um, about from William Shakespeare that I really appreciate. It says, God hath given you one face, and you make for yourselves another. So when we live the lies, when we live in our sin identity, we aren't living in our true selves. We are not living in the strength of God's grace. We are living in our brokenness, and we've put on a mask to hide, to cover. And God would rather have us live with our true face, live, with our tr live as our true selves. Michael's story is a lot like the story of the woman from, at the well. I'm going to read from John 4 a bit of this story because it's about a woman who was living her sin identity and then God gave her a different story. 
Now Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he came to, a, to the town of, of Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of Jacob that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, which would be noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. But Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks the water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where, he must, where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now has come when the worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. I'm going to skip down to verse 34. I'm going to skip down actually to verse 30. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed, came and believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know this man really is the savior of the world. Here's a woman who came to the well and to get her water, and she came by herself. That tells a lot about her in this story. She was an outcast. She was someone that the, even her own people, the Samaritans, didn't want to have anything to do with. So unlike most of the community, when, when you were a part of the community as a woman, you would go to the well in the early morning hours when it was still cool, and you'd go with the rest of uh, the women, and you'd draw your water and community, and then you would return. But she was not welcomed in that community. 
So she was an outcast and had to go to the well in midday when it was hot and by herself. And then there's Jesus. Well, Jesus was not supposed to talk to her. She was a woman. And she was a Samaritan woman. I mean, she had everything going against her. And he knew that she was an outcast because she was there by herself. And yet, Jesus chose to talk to her. Well, she was definitely living out of her sin identity. She wasn't connected to her community. She knew better than to be present with anyone else. She knew better than to talk to a man at the well, certainly a Jew. She should not be talking to him. So she's trying to stave him off and say, Don't, you know, I, I'm, a Samar- I'm a Samaritan woman, as if Jesus didn't know this. So, so really, you shouldn't talk to me. But Jesus did talk. And he said to her, I've got something for you. There is something for you that is different from this life that you are living. It's, it's water that will quench the thirsty soul. It's water that will quench your thirsty soul, your, your sin weary, thirsty soul. And he told her about her sin. Well, does it sound like it would be a good thing to meet up with someone who's going to tell you about your sin? I don't, I don't think so. But the way that Jesus went about this, he did this with kindness. He did this clearly with an invitation to his grace because she didn't, she didn't back down from that. She's, you, you, know everything, you know everything about me. She didn't step away from that, but she continued to engage and connect with the Lord. That's because God tells us that it's his kindness that will lead us to repentance out of Romans chapter two. His kindness is calling us, calling us to bring our brokenness to him, to bring that sin identity to him because he wants to establish us in truth. He wants to hand us this incredible gift that says you are more than sin. You are more than your sin and you are more than the sin that has been brought against you. This woman at the well, she was being sinned against. Her community had told her she has no more value. She has no more worth. Being a Samaritan, God knew He's, he's the God of, of orchestra, I'll just say. He's the God who orchestrates life. He, Jesus did not have to walk through Samaria. In fact, the Jews worked really hard to walk around Samaria to get to where they were going. They didn't want to taint themselves by letting their feet touch Samaritan ground. But Jesus wanted us to know that even if we are Samaritans, his grace is enough for us. So he walked through Samaria. The scripture even describes it. You know, he says, now Jesus had to go through Samaria. Well, he had to because he needed to orchestrate this gift of his grace being brought to us. Not everything Jesus did ended up in scripture. 
God chose deliberately the things that were going to end up in Scripture. And, and I can imagine his disciples, as they were present, as John, who wrote this gospel, was with the Lord, he was probably thinking, I think we're going to have to write this one down because he's doing what he is not supposed to do. And usually when Jesus does what he's not supposed to do, it's something we're supposed to know that we are to do. <laughs> so I imagine the details were not lost on John. We have a God who goes out of his way to show us our sin in grace. He goes out of his way to tell us, do not be defined by the lies of sin. Do not make your life a life of sin. I have grace for you. John 8 says, 8.31 says, Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? That's what he's offering us, his kindness so that we repent, so that we live not in lies, not in sin, but in grace. John 8 says, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He doesn't want us ensnared by, truth, by, by sin. He wants us released by truth. His truth, his calling us into our grace identity, our grace identity, which doesn't say, it doesn't pretend we're not sinners. In fact, it says, oh, I am a sinner, and I need your grace, God, to bring your healing to me from this sin. When, when, we're, when we sin, or when we're sinned against, there's brokenness, always, all sin, and God does not want us to live in that brokenness. He says, let me set you free. So what does the woman do when her sin has been identified? She goes to her village. She goes to the town square. Verse 29 out of John 4. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and she said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Well, something's going on here, folks, because this woman was not supposed to be speaking to anybody. So she comes to the town square and says, come and see this man who told me everything I ever did. I think those people are going to listen because this woman knew her place and she stepped way out of her place to say, this could be the Messiah. This could be who we have been waiting for. We Samaritans have been waiting for to tell us all things, to teach us. When her sin identity was revealed into God's truth and into his grace, she became an evangelist. She didn't tiptoe into town. Said she left, her, she left her things there and ran into town to begin to proclaim the Messiah. I think that's why the people left 
the town and went out to see what was happening because they knew this, this is different. She's talking. Why is she talking? What is she saying? Because she's not supposed to be saying anything to us. Well, we better pay attention to what she is saying because this is, this is new. This is different. She proclaimed Christ. And what, did, what was the response? They came out and began to listen to what Jesus had to say. And so Jesus does something again that's just, just he's not supposed to do. He stays in Samaria. He takes his time in Samaria. Jews, if they had to go through Samaria for whatever reason, they got through it as fast as they possibly could. But not Jesus. He wanted these Samaritans to know a truth, the truth of his grace. And he used a woman who was living out of her sin identity to know that truth. She opened the door of his declaration so that it ends with them saying, well, we don't have to just take your word for it. We have come and seen this for ourselves. That's the gift of God's amazing grace. We get to see it for ourselves. When we expose our sin to God's grace, we find healing. When we expose our sin identity to God's grace, we can become an evangelist. We can become people who testify of God's goodness. When we pray that gift of prayer that God has given us, we can confidently share with one another the journey of God's testimony of answering that prayer. We can join with heaven and say hallelujah, hallelujah. Sin holds me no more. There's not one of us in this place that couldn't be the, the woman at the well in our own way. Every one of us has been ensnared by sin. But have you received the grace of God to take on his grace identity offered to us? I love this story because it tells us that God is not about us getting it right, getting it together, get your act together, and then come to me and I will use you. He's saying, let me in. Let me cover that sin with my grace. Let me restore you. Let me heal you. Let me use you just as you are and trust that I am enough. Trust me to live in this grace identity. And when we live in grace identity, it helps us in our fellowship with one another. The woman at the well was isolated by herself. Well, she, embracing the grace of God, and everybody knew her, her business, but embracing the grace of God brought her back into community, into fellowship. So, so as Pastor Eric is is moving us through this series about engaging ourselves in our grace identity, walking as image bearers of God, it is in part to call us, to challenge us, to encourage one another to develop an intimacy of fellowship that can only come when we're not wearing masks when we're not standing before each other hidden, but when we are embracing the grace of God and giving testimony of his work in our lives. I hope that we are a testifying church. I want to finish up with telling you the rest of Michael's story. I went back the next day, and Michael was alive, and 
And he says, I want to I submit to that grace you're telling me about. He says, I, I want to be baptized. I said, Michael, I, I, that, would be, that would be my blessing to baptize you. He says, but, but I want you to wait until my brother and my best friend can be here, which will be later on tonight. And can you come back and, and baptize me then? I said, absolutely. So a few hours later, I come back, and um, Michael can no longer even raise his arm to greet me. He just kind of raised his hand up just a little bit, but not, not his whole arm. And um, so I go in with his brother and with his friend, his best friend. And I said, so Michael's been, has told me that he wants to be baptized. And so I'm going to read from the scripture a story about baptism. And, and I opened up the scriptures to Acts to the book of Acts. And I told the story, read from the story of the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip. Ethiopian, the Ethiopian eunuch was a person who had been set apart, uh, set aside, made a eunuch so that he could do the job that he was intended to do uh, more, I guess, safely as a eunuch. Um, and, uh, but he was, he was a, a man of high status in that he, he worked for the queen, um, but he was still set aside, set apart, um, and turned into something that, other than what he was meant to be. So I read this story and said, and in, and in it it says that God, I mean that Philip, told this eunuch about the truth of God and his grace and how it was, his grace was completely fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture of Isaiah, he preached Jesus to him and they went along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with your heart and confess Jesus Christ as Lord, you can be baptized. So I share this with Michael. And I shared with him the scripture that says, proclaim Christ and you will be saved. Michael's type of cancer made it really hard for him to speak. His voice was just a minimal whisper and very raspy. So when he spoke, I had to lean in and listen. But when I shared that verse that says, you have only to proclaim Jesus Christ, this man who was dying lifted up his head off the pillow raised his hand and he said, I proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. I tell you, the tears began to fall and I said, Michael James, by that declaration of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I poured that water over him and that water mixed with his tears and my tears and he understood grace. After that moment, I shared communion with him and his brother and his best friend. And I shared the story of communion. Now Michael was not able to, to swallow anymore. 
So I just took the bread and I set it on his tongue just to feel it. And then I took a, a sponge and I dipped it in the juice and I just put that around his mouth and we shared communion. His first communion as a follower in Christ. His brother had said, I, I don't remember the last time we were in church. Sometime maybe when we were kids. But he also wanted to take communion. He also wanted to take in the sacrifice of Christ. And Michael's friend wanted to take communion and take in the sacrifice of Christ that Michael had just given testimony to. So we shared communion. And then I stepped aside. How we all fit in that room, I'm, yeah, that was only God. But I leaned over and kissed Michael's forehead and then I stepped aside and his brother came up next to him, kneeled next to him, and I was witness to someone sharing an amazing blessing. His big brother sharing with him about what a wonderful man he'd been, what a good brother he'd been, how he loved him deeply, bringing up memories from their childhood and saying, Geronimo telling his brother, I love you so deeply and I'm ready to let you go. If you are ready, I am ready. And Michael's friend did the same, shared what a blessing it had been. They had worked together, that's how they knew each other. And Michael, a dying man who lived in his sin identity, became an evangelist. So I left, and a few hours later, I got a call from Geronimo. It's about two or three in the morning, and he says, oh, Chaplain, Michael just got his healing. He went home to be with God. Well, hallelujah. And so now the story is, Michael, not the man of sin who thought he had to work to get God's grace. And the story is the woman at the well who thought she had to live in this place of, of exile because of her sin. But we have people who let the grace of God change who they were and give them a grace identity where God then can proclaim, behold, I am doing a new thing. Folks, is God, are you letting God do that new thing? Are you inviting God to reveal to you the gift of his grace identity gift for you? by revealing your sin, not in judgment, but in the goodness and sufficiency of his grace. We baptized a, a baby this morning as a testimony, coming back to that word, a testimony of what God is up to in his sufficiency as Father, as Son, and as Holy Spirit to wash over us his grace, and to invite us to live in the truth of his grace identity given to us. I want to invite the worship team to come back up and the folks who are, um, can, will be up to pray with us. I think we're going to sing again that last song, Grace, Grace, God's Grace, Grace That Is Greater, than all my sin. Not some, not part, but all. So in this time where we're singing and we're thinking about the gift of baptism 
and we're thinking about what it means to be washed clean into his grace sufficiency. To be washed and given the new identity. Behold, I am doing a new thing, says God. Well, while they are playing, if you'd like, come on up to the table and let your hand dip into the water and feel that refreshment of God's sufficient grace, of his enough grace. And we have folks who will be willing to pray with you, ready to pray with you if there's a specific thing on your heart or mind. But let's be a church that testifies of God's all-sufficient grace. If you feel led, take a moment, come up and connect with the baptism of this powerful, grace-giving God. Stay in the 